Well, today we are diving into the book of Jonah, chapter 1. In doing so, we're going to look at some of those themes. And one of the themes is that we do need Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We need God's grace and mercy. And religious people have a problem with self-righteousness. We actually need mercy more than rebellious people often. So you turn your Bible to Jonah chapter 1. One of the themes we're going to look at today in Jonah is that God uses our wrong direction to accomplish his ultimate direction. Now we're going to see that because Jonah decides to disobey God, but because of that he ends up being swallowed by a fish and spit out three days later, you know, covered with bleached skin from uh, all of the acid in that, in that whale's stomach. And that wrong direction becomes the perfect tool for God to accomplish his purposes. Because he goes to speak to a group of people who worship a fish god named Dagon. And so God uses Jonah's rebellion to accomplish his purposes. Now, the same thing is true in history. In fact, in 2014, ISIS decided when they took over the area of Nineveh, in the area of Iraq where there is a tomb to Jonah, they wanted to blow it up, blow up Jonah's tomb so that no one could see that there was evidence of the Jews and Christians' view of Jonah. Now, what's interesting is if you get on YouTube, you can search ISIS 2014, blow up or explosion, the tomb of Jonah, and you can see it is a massive explosion designed to destroy evidence for the Bible. However, what happened was the opposite. It actually uncovered a series of tunnels underneath that tomb, uncovering archeological finds related to the Assyrians, Nineveh, and all the things that the Bible claimed. So when ISIS tried to blow up evidence for the Bible, instead what they accomplished was uncovering a massive amount of evidence for the claims the Bible made. So God's been doing that all through history, even up to 2014. Nineveh and the Bible have been critically important in God's work. Now the second major theme we need to understand before diving into verse 1 is that God's goal here is to replace in you and I self-righteous comparison to others with self-aware compassion for others. That's what this book's all about. Instead of having self-righteous comparison to others, God wants us to have compassion for other people, even our enemies. Which is why the book ends with a question mark that just hangs there for you and I. And the question at the end of Jonah is this. God turns to Jonah and says, Should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons, and you see them as enemies, Jonah, but I see them as people who cannot discern between their left hand and their right. Oh, and by the way, they have much livestock. God, I care about their animals. I care about them. And yes, they're wicked. And yes, they've done terrible things that need to be held accountable to. But I have compassion that they are like little children who don't know their left hand from their right. So that's the question we're going to look at today. For you and I, when you look at Jonah, do I have compassion or comparison for people who are not like me? You see, when we compare ourselves, it always leads to either feeling inferior or superior, 
right? When people are not like us, we get inferior when they're better at us, when they're faster than us, when they're kinder than us. We think, oh, that's not real. They didn't earn that. Comparison leads to criticizing people who are not like us. However, it also leads to us doing something different. We have a tendency to feel superior to people because we are smarter. We wouldn't have done that. We're we're not the kind of people who would have said that or wrote that note or held that position. So the challenge of Jonah is for us to look at, do we have compassion for people who are not like us? Are we always comparing ourselves to people who are not like us, resulting in self-righteous behavior? And how do we wake up to that? In fact, that's what Jonah's going to do. He's going to show us how he eventually woke up to the fact that he was a self-righteous, religious finger-wagger, and instead, he needed to wake up to the heart of God. So let me give you three ways that we can wake up to our own need for humility and God's perspective. Now, the first way we wake up, the first way we begin to see ourselves and God and the world properly is that we need to remember Remember that we all pay the fare when we flee from God's presence. Which is kind of a silly idea, really. Like, you're going to flee from God's presence? That's exactly what we do when we rebel. When we become self-righteous, we're going to pay the the fare because we think our righteousness is better than God's righteousness. And when we rebel, we pay the fare because you don't, you don't break God's laws you discover God's laws. I mean, think of it like the law of gravity, right? You don't break the law of gravity. You discover it, and it's painful. Well, the same thing is true for Jonah. You can pay the fare through religion, self-righteousness, or through rebellion. Both think they know better than God. Let's jump into chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So God has been watching, God has been seeing, and God sees there's a problem there that needs to be addressed. Even in his compassion for the Ninevites, he also wants to hold them accountable. Now, Nineveh is a massive historical city. I got in contact with a guy in the military who actually took these pictures when he was there recently of what those walls look like that have been restored. But this massive city was an actual capital city of one of the biggest empires in human history, the Assyrian Empire. In fact, here's the citadel of Tel Afar in Nineveh, Iraq. So again, it wasn't just one area, massive fortifications, massive military compounds. This place was massive. This wasn't like some small, insignificant city. God said, I want you to go to the capital of the world and deliver this message. So the next verse is a big, but Jonah. And remember that phrase because but Jonah shows up several times in this book. But despite what God said, the prophet of God is a rebel. Now this is shocking. In fact, one of the interesting things about the book of Jonah is that it's a book of irony. Every character does the opposite of what you might think. So the prophet of God rebels against God. The pagans who don't believe in God seek God out. 
This irony of storytelling in four pages happens over and over and over again. So, but Jonah. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. There it is. He's trying to get away from God's presence. God, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to get away from you, push you away. I don't want to have anything to do with your plan. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. Yes, he did. In fact, this is where we get the main point today. We all pay the fare when we try to flee from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to it and to go to them to Tarshish, and here's the phrase again, to get away from the presence of the Lord. So, so where are these locations and where is he supposed to go and where did he go? Well, here is Europe and Africa and um, kind of a world map. Here's Jonah in Israel. He's supposed to go over here to Nineveh, but instead he gets on a ship heading literally to the farthest place in the world in the wrong direction that God called him to. So he pays the fare to escape God's presence, but ultimately he doesn't make it very far. What do I mean? Well, he leaves Joppa here in Israel. He makes his way just around the corner on the edge, and it was somewhere even here that he gets thrown off the boat. And then... Via the whale, he actually makes his way to the great fish over here to the shore and then walks his way, walks his way, walks his way all the way to Nineveh. So that's what's going on here. And he is going to pay the fare for trying to flee the presence of the Lord. Now, another interesting thing about the book of Jonah. Jonah is a book of prophets, but most of the prophetic books are words of a prophet. Thus says the Lord, God wants you to stop this or do that or be careful of this. This is one of the few actual prophetic books that aren't the words of a prophet, but the story about a prophet. In fact, there's 48 verses in the book of Jonah and 47 of them are storylines and only one of them is actually one sentence, the words of Jonah a short little sermon he gives to the Ninevites. So this is a compelling idea. It's a very unique book to study. The story of a religious prophet who goes wayward with God. The other thing that we've mentioned several times in the last two weeks is that there's two different perspectives back home. Jonah is telling King Jeroboam, God's favor is with you, king. But Amos has been saying, no, 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 God's justice is against you. And so this idea comes to bear here when you realize that Jonah thinks he's better and his kingdom is better and his king is better than the Ninevite king, even though God is speaking and giving evidence all around him that's not particularly true. So when you think about Jonah, think about the rebel in you and me, right? It's easy to criticize others but isn't there something in you from a little child till now that you said you're not my boss I used to say that you can't tell me what to do to your parents to your brother to your sister right there's a rebel in all of us I don't have to do what you want me to do your parents told you not to date someone what's the first thing you want to do go out with that person your parents said you know I really think this might be a good career path for you. And you're like, nope, if you want it, I'm going that way. Right, there's something in us. And often 
when we didn't take good advice from people who loved us, oh, there was pain over there and pain over there and pain down that journey. We paid the fare, trying to run away from the presence of God. Several years, thinking this particular lifestyle would bring meaning and hope, and I was like, oh, oh, there were good times, but oh, I got scars from some of the decisions I made. Well, that's something in all of us. We think we know better than God. We think our way is better than his way. And we end up feeling the pain that comes. We pay the fare from running from his presence. So how do we do that? How do we pay the fare for fleeing the presence of the Lord? How do we end up being just like Jonah? I remember a buddy came into my office several years ago. Kind of a self-righteous know-it-all who was always criticizing everything about everybody. He knew the only way to interpret the Bible. His way was always the best way in a conversation. It didn't matter the topic, marriage, family, politics, religion, the Bible, he always knew best. Well, he asked to have a conversation with me. So he came into my office about 10 years ago. As we're chatting together, he just has this litany of things that I'm doing wrong, the church is doing wrong, we're interpreting the Bible wrong, just bam, 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 page two, bam, 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 page three. But I'm trying to listen, I'm trying to have compassion, I'm trying to see if he has any good points. When he finishes talking to me, I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? Well, sure. Sure you mind or sure, no, okay, so you opened it, okay. I said, how is this kind of perspective of always being right, how does it play out in your marriage? And how does that play out with your kids? Like, would you say that your kids and your wife feel close to you? and feel like they can bring their perspective into your family, or does this cause trouble for you? And for just a second, a very short second, I saw a look on his face. It was almost like he was thinking. It was, it was almost for just a second, he almost had a little self-awareness. He paused and he went, actually, this does affect my marriage and my wife has said that many times that I'm not really open to feedback and I'm not really open to her perspective. I said, listen, I'm not here to criticize. Ironically, because you are. Um, I, mean, I didn't say that out loud. I said, I'm not here to criticize, but I would just say that you have some great points you've brought up, but I just wonder if you might be paying the fare in your relationships by not having enough humility or open-mindedness to other people's perspective. And at least for a moment, he was open to that idea. Well, I want to look at a second way that we can be aware of how to wake up to consequences. If we want to wake up to humility, we need to, one, remember, we're going to pay the fare. And you might be right and win an argument, but it might be affecting your relationships. But what's the second way that we can wake up to God's perspective? So what's the second way that we wake up to this idea? Well, besides remembering the fair, we need to wake up and cry out to God. I mean, if you don't think you have a problem, you don't have to wake up to it. So we have to wake up that we have blind spots, wake up that we need God to rescue us from our own self-righteousness. And we need to cry out to God. God, I am so busy finger pointing at the rebellious, I'm not looking at the problem of self-righteous religion in me. God. Wake me up to this. Wake me up to my pride. Wake me up to my arrogance. Wake me up to my unkindness and cry out to God. 
So what's interesting is that the captain on this ship and all the people, they, a storm hits, they're crying out, God, the gods. They don't believe in his God, but the gods, save us, rescue us, help us. And then they realize like somebody's missing. And way down sleeping in the boat is a guy who really needs to wake up, the religious guy. And I think the same thing's true for you and I. Are we asleep at the bottom of the boat? Are we asleep in our self-righteousness? Are we asleep in our arrogance? And do we need to wake up to the truth that God needs to save us from ourselves? So what does it look like to wake up and cry out to God? Now remember I mentioned the irony here in the book. The irony is, look who's woke in this particular chapter, right? You'd think the follower of the God of the Bible would be the woke one. He's awake to his own problems. But look who's woke. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. Now notice the irony here. The mariners who don't believe in his God, they're actually afraid. Wow, we must have upset the gods. And every man, except Jonah, cried out to his God. The natural reaction of these circumstances is to cry out to God. They were awake to their need. They were awake that they need to call to the gods. They were crying out to God. These were the pagans. These were the rebellious. These were the people who didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're awakened. They're woke to what they need from God. However, Jonah isn't. Look what happens next. So they cried out to their gods and they threw the cargo over the side of the ship. All their valuables, everything that was important, everything about the trip. Maybe we can save ourselves to lighten the load. Here it is again, but Jonah. (laughs) Second time, but Jonah. The satire and the irony of this book is that but Jonah is not awake, but Jonah is not concerned, but Jonah is not praying, but Jonah is not helping. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. I'm gonna ignore the circumstances. I'm gonna ignore the consequences. That's what we do. When you're not awake to the way you're rebelling against God, you hide, you isolate, you pull away from God and others. I want to pretend it's not happening. So the pagan mariners are woke and Jonah is not. He is asleep in his consequences. Last part. So he laid down and he was fast asleep. Somebody needs to wake him up. And God's trying to wake him up with a storm, but he's not quite getting it. Now, look who's trying to wake him up. And the irony continues here. Because the whole book of Jonah is God telling Jonah to care about the condition of Nineveh. Care about other people who are going to be destroyed. He doesn't. He doesn't even care about himself being destroyed. But look who cares about him. The captain, the pagan, the irreligious guy. The pagan came to him and said to him, hey, what do you mean, sleeper? He calls him sleeper. Why? Because he's asleep 
in his circumstances. He's asleep to the consequences. He's asleep to the problem, and he's not doing what anyone should and could do in this circumstance. Cry out to whatever God you got, we need help. Wake up, oh sleeper, he says. So look, what do you mean? What's this all about, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, whoever he is. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Wake up and call on your God. That's the theme here. That's the idea here. Now the question is, is God trying to get your attention? Is God trying to get my attention? God will use other people you may not expect. God might use comments from your enemies, people you think are bad because they don't agree with you on religion. God may use that very voice or the circumstances around you to try and wake you up. In fact, it's interesting, I was talking to a friend here at Horizon who said his father was a pastor for 30, 40 plus years. And yet, he got sick. And he got sick and found himself in the hospital with a life-threatening condition. Well, his son came to visit him at the hospital. And as they were chatting together, he said, Dad, you've been a pastor all these years. Dad, I'm not sure you know God. And initially, his dad got kind of abrupt and, and upset. Then he said, well, Dad, do you know God personally? Do you know Jesus Christ personally? His dad said, well, not really. He's like, well, Dad, it doesn't matter that you've been a pastor. It doesn't matter that you've helped people get baptized or, or helped people with communion. The real issue is, do you know God personally? And have you asked Jesus for forgiveness I've done things wrong, you've done things wrong. I've heard you talk a lot about religion, Dad, but I've never heard you really talk about knowing God. Would you like to accept Christ right now? And his dad, in this condition of cancer and pain and, and, and facing his own mortality, thinking about all the years of serving God and doing the right thing, was given an invitation to look at all the things he held on to that weren't God and to wake up to his need for mercy. My friend said that my dad said that day, man, no, now's not a good time. I don't think so. No. No. How could a pastor refuse a chance to know God personally? Well, how can you and I refuse to see the circumstances around us pointing us to deal with our own pride? When there's a storm in your marriage or, or, or stormy comments coming from your kids or people in your department complaining about the culture, it might be a chance to stop finger pointing at everybody else and look at your own heart and say, God, what do I need to wake up to? What do you want to change in me? So what is the third way that we uh, awake to our need for God's grace, to awake to our need to have compassion toward others rather than always comparing ourselves to other people? Well, we need to ruthlessly pursue the cause of our rebellion. Ruthlessly look at why we're always comparing ourselves. Ruthlessly look at why we feel like if the world was like us, it would be such a better place. Right? At some level, you and I believe that. Even though we know it's not true. We've got to ruthlessly 
pursue the cause of our own rebellion. Look what happens next. So they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. We gotta figure out what's causing this storm that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So casting lots, think of it like um, rolling dice or putting straws in place and everyone picked a straw. Whoever got the smallest straw was to blame. But the point here is they realize there's a problem and we need to figure out what's causing it. We gotta ruthlessly use the methods we have at our disposal to get to the cause of this trouble. The cause is trouble that's come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, this is not a uh, biblical (laughs) admonition to draw straws to make decisions. This is not, (laughs) the lesson here is not roll your dice, decide what God wants you to do. God used even their bad methods, even their unscientific methods to begin to try and awaken them and Jonah to the problem. And the problem was Jonah was in rebellion. And while the other mariners were ruthlessly pursuing the cause, he was not. So God brought it to their attention. Look what happens next. The lot fell upon Jonah and they said to him, please. And notice again, the way they treat him is just so ironic compared to how he treats people who are not like him. Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? And they began to bombard him with questions. And by the way, that's how you can pursue the cause of arrogance and rebellion in your own life. Begin to bombard yourself with questions. Why did I feel that way? Why did I do that? Why did I react that way when she said that or he did that? Look at all the questions they have. What's your occupation, Jonah? Where do you come from, Jonah? What is your country, Jonah? And of what people are you? Just bombarding him with questions. And that's what you and I need to do. Ruthlessly pursue what's broken in us. What we need mercy and grace and forgiveness for. During the COVID-19 panic, I was reading an article by Chris Rock. Chris Rock said that during the last nine months of COVID, he has spent seven hours a week in therapy. Seven hours. A week? Like, I'm like, maybe seven hours a year. Seven hours a week. He said, I realize there's things I've done that have destroyed relationships, destroyed professional opportunities. And I used to think it was like people treating me bad because I was a celebrity. But I realize there's something broken in me. And I've been using this time of COVID to ruthlessly pursue why I do what I do. He realized that some of the things growing up, the way he grew up, was affecting him, driven by fear, driven by arrogance, overcompensating for insecurity. The way he didn't want to take risks in some area. But he wouldn't have discovered that if he hadn't ruthlessly committed to seven hours a week of saying, I got to figure out what's broken in me. Well, Jonah's going to not give seven hours a week. He's not even going to give seven seconds to this idea. In fact, he's so delusional, it's shocking. Which again, Jonah's writing this book about himself to kind of say, look how blind I was to how broken I was. So he says to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. 
the God who made all the heavens and the God who made the sea and the dry land. Look at me. I know the true God. I'm not crying out to these false gods. And the God I serve made the heavens, where the storm is, and I may, my God I serve made the sea that's about to kill us. Now think of the irony here. I mean, here's a guy who said, the, the, the storms that are going on, the seas are ravaging, I know that God. Yeah, and you fled from him? And of all the places you tried to flee from God's presence, you went out here on the sea where you have no control, where the storms, this is a bad idea, is what you'd think if you're a mariner. Like Jonah, ixnay on the uh, flee from the Lord, eh? This is a bad idea. And yet Jonah's so oblivious to his horrible decisions, he's just shaking his finger with this self-righteous, yes, I serve the true God, even though I'm in rebellion against him, I still know I'm better than you. I mean, it's just dripping out of this guy. Look what happens next. So the men, having heard this self-righteous speech, were exceedingly afraid. This did not make them feel better. This guy serves the God of the sea and the God of the ocean, and he's made him mad. So they said to him, why have you done this? For they knew, based on that pathetic little self-righteous speech, They knew, everyone around knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord. How stunning is that? That the the pagans, the people who don't believe in the God of the Bible, knew from one speech from a prophet that was so dripping with self-righteousness that he was fleeing from the presence of his God. And because he told them so. Okay, that's even more bizarre. He says, I serve the God of the heavens and sea and I decide to outrun him and flee from his presence to come out here with you and to put your life in danger. Isn't this book strange and bizarre and unexpected? What are the ways that you and I may deem to to, to ruthlessly pursue the cause of our own rebellion? Well, the Bible calls this idea repentance. Repentance is saying, God, wake me up to what's broken in me. Help me discover what it looks like for me to examine who I've hurt, who I've put in danger, what's gone on there. I had a friend called me up a few weeks ago, and his daughter was getting married. And there was a chance with COVID to watch the wedding. And so we did. I was watching the wedding. I knew the couple pretty well for many, many years. And one of the things I've always noticed, really everybody's noticed, is that one of the people in that family really had a problem with being unteachable. Their way was always the best way. And you couldn't motivate them, you couldn't convince them, because they were always right. What's interesting is we're watching this wedding that all of a sudden that moment came where the family comes down the aisle and we notice that the family wasn't at the wedding. It kind of struck us. Well, what we found out is that the bride wanted to be safe, wanted to keep everybody at the wedding safe, and so she asked everyone who wanted to be at the wedding to take a COVID test. And the family members, parents of those getting married, refused to take a COVID test. No, I'm not going to take that test. You can have whatever opinion you want on the test, on the vaccine, on COVID. But they decided that standing their ground on a COVID test 
was more important than being at their own daughter's wedding. And honestly, my heart broke. My heart broke for the family. My heart broke for the bride and groom. And I just remembered I'd been seeing this pattern in other areas 20 years ago. And yet, I I hoped that they would grow out of that. I hoped that they would have ruthlessly pursued maybe why they're so stuck in their ways or so stubborn. But clearly not. See, very few of us do. Every once in a while, though, you get a picture of it. I've been at Horizon for 18 years, but a couple years before I was here, there was a circumstance where a staff member had done some inappropriate things, had done some lying, had lied to some people about some things. And about seven years later, I'd heard this story, but I get a phone call. And the phone call came from the staff member who said, Chad, I know you're the pastor now, you weren't here when I was on staff, but I want to call and just officially apologize for what I did. And just went into all the detail to say, I lied to some people. I I thought I knew better than other people. I thought I was doing the right thing. I was an immature and arrogant young man. And could you extend my need for forgiveness and my apologies to all of the board and all of the team? They treated me graciously and kindly considering what I did. But I've had some time to do some soul searching and I realized I was wrong. And I was so excited about saying thank you for this call. Man, I'm so excited what God's doing in you. I will definitely extend that and tell the team. And, and I called up the team members and told them the story. And they were ecstatic that someone who had harmed some people, had done some bad things, had come around to waking up to what was broken in them. How about you? Will you do the same? Ruthlessly pursue the cause of your own rebellion. So what is the key takeaway for all of us from this chapter? Well, I think in short, it's the idea of turning to God and say, God, wake up the sleeper. Isn't that what the captain said to Jonah? Wake up, O sleeper, what are you doing? To say to God, wake up the sleeper in me. Ask God to wake you up to to how you compare yourself to other people all the time. Ask God to wake you up to conviction. God, wake me up to where I need to be convicted. God, I don't want to be the guy sleeping at the bottom of the boat when all my circumstances and all the people around me are saying, call out to God, you're hurting yourself and us. Wake up, O sleeper. And to be woke up, right, you need something outside of yourself to wake you up. Right, when you're asleep, you can't wake yourself up. You need a wake-up call. You call the front desk of the hotel to wake you up. You need something outside of you. You can't wake yourself up. You can't just do better or try harder. You have to say, God, there's something broken in me. There's something asleep in me. I need you to wake me up. I don't even know what I don't know about myself. Wake up, O sleeper. Right, and that's what the captain did. Right? So the captain had to come to him. And the captain had to say, what do you mean sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us. Consider us, the consequences to us. You're not even thinking about us. It's been all about you. So that we, your family, your innocence, your team members, so we may not perish, so other people won't be hurt by your consequences. Now this idea gets picked up in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians 
It says the reason you and I need the resurrection of Jesus is because something's dead in us that only resurrection can wake up. Here's what it says in Ephesians. Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I want to pray that God would wake you up. This next worship song is an expression of that prayer. Sing along with us. Pray along with us. As you sing this song, don't just kind of go through the motions. Instead, say, God, this is my prayer. Wake me up to my need for resurrection. Let's pray. Father, would you love us enough to wake us up to whatever we're blind to? Forgive us for our brokenness. Forgive us for our arrogance. In Jesus' name, amen.